Would you join me in a word of prayer as we begin studying the word of the Lord? Oh Lord, you are our portion, our inheritance. And we can indeed say, because of your Son, that the lines have fallen for us in pleasant places. We have a very, very good inheritance in him. Our Father, I pray that today you would cause us to rejoice in not only your power, but upon your, but in your gracious purposes and plans. Knowing how every moment we are dependent on you and thus freed to rejoice in you now and all eternity. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 43. And we are going to be looking at a pretty lengthy passage today. So I've been weighing how to handle this section because from 43 verse 15 all the way to end of 50, I'm sorry, 45, it is all one series of tightly connected events, and the the major truth of which, the climax of which, comes in chapter 45. And so I had initially planned to handle this over several sermons, Um, but then I felt like uh, one of those movie directors who takes a a small book and then makes it into like three or four movies, you know, just adds a whole bunch of stuff to like, you know, like... uh, the Hobbit is a short book, and they make three movies out of it. What's going on there? Um, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be the Peter Jackson of uh, Genesis this morning. So we're going to do something. We are going to work our way from the 43, verse 15, all the way to the end of 45. And I usually do not take this much of a chunk, and I'm a little terrified that I'm going to do it. But because we're going to do it, we're going to take a bit of a 30,000-foot angle on this. And I am going to read it all, despite the fact that it's, it's lengthy. I'm going to read it all. And I do that for a couple of reasons. One is because the reality is knowledge and understanding of what the Bible says has decreased rapidly in our age. And rather than expecting everyone to have read it or know this passage and to just talk about it, it would be helpful for us to walk briefly through it. The other part is, I could ask you all to read it this afternoon, but how many of us will actually do that? And so, rather than just hitting the high points, and we are going to walk all the way through verse 15 to 45, But we are not going to do that all at once. We're going to take it in chunks. And so, to recap where we are, Joseph is in Egypt. He's the 11th son of Jacob. His brothers have come down to him already once. They're headed down now. They've just given permission. The last week we saw they were given permission from Jacob to go and return to Egypt. And they brought with them Benjamin, whom Joseph required of them. 
to bring if they wanted to see his face and get food. Jacob is terrified what's going to happen to his last son of his favorite wife. Joseph was sold. He believes he's been killed. Benjamin's all that he's got left. So the brothers we read, beginning in verse 15, travel down to Egypt. So follow along with me. We're going to read from verse 15 to the end of the chapter. And this is the very first section. What we're going to see is that Joseph is beginning to lay the final step of his trap. He has got a trap that he has been setting. He's been preparing. And now he is, he is laying it down. And he's preparing his brothers for that trap to be sprung. So follow along as I read from verse 15 to the end of the chapter. So the men took the present and Benjamin, that is the present they, they had... Remember last week, they were given a present by their father, uh, lip balm, not quite lip balm, but balm and pistachios and nuts and, and, and other select items to bring down as gifts to, uh, to Joseph, this, this ruler in Egypt, so that they might get his favor. So the men took that present and Benjamin, and they took double the money in their hand and arose and went down to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, speaking in Egyptian, Take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready for these men, for these men will dine with me at noon. Then the men did as Joseph ordered. And the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid, Joseph's brothers were afraid, because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they said, It's because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we are brought in. So that he may make a case against us and seize us to take us as slaves with our donkeys. When they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they they talked with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food. But it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks and there... Each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it back in our hand. And we have brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We do not know who put the money in our sacks. But he, this is the steward, he said, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon, a brother who was in prison, he brought him out to them. So the man brought them into Joseph's house, and he gave them water, and they washed their feet, and he gave them donkey, he gave their donkeys feed. Then they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they would eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present, which was in their hand, into the house, and they bowed down before him to the earth, just as Joseph had dreamed before. But he asked them about their well-being. This is Joseph asking them about their well-being. And he said, is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they answered, your servant, our father, is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. Then he lifted his eyes. This is Joseph. And he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God, be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brothers. So Joseph made haste and he sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and he wept there. Then he he washed his face and he came out and he restrained himself. And he said, serve the bread. 
So they set him a place by himself. And them, that is the Egyptians by, I'm sorry, then the brothers by themselves and the Egyptians who wait with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. That is, they're, they're amazed that Joseph knows their birth order. They hadn't revealed that. And he took servings, this is Joseph, he took servings to them from before him. But Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. So Joseph is is here in this latter half of this chapter. He is laying for them a trap. And he is trying to get them to let down their guard. They have come remembering what happened their last trip to Egypt. Now they are coming ready with with presents, with all the money. They're coming on their guard. And and so Joseph is trying to ease them up so that they become less suspicious. So the first thing he does, he he invites them into into his house, which was an incredible honor. He is inviting them over for dinner. This would be like you or I being asked to the White House to have dinner with the president. It would be an immense honor. They're inviting, he's inviting them in. And initially this terrifies the brothers. They think he's setting them up. They think he is going to make an accusation against them and uh, make them all his slaves. So they go to the servant, they, they explain everything. And the servant tells them, no, no, indeed, actually, I already had your money because the Lord provided it, which, which gives us the impression that that this steward and those around Joseph, they were believing in God, which is the exact opposite of what often happens when God's people align themselves with those who are ungodly. Rather than often, you see in the book of Joshua and Judges, you see often that it is the, the world that is influencing the people of God. And here Joshua, though alone in Egypt, he is the one who is leading others to see and to believe in the one true God. But going onward, we see that he invites them for dinner. They, they, they begin to let down their guard. They think Joseph is accepting their, their gift. And Joseph comes in. He inquires about their well-being. Is your father well? Is this your brother? And you can see Joseph's heart. He sees his brother. It's been 20 plus years since he has seen his brother. And he is overwhelmed with emotion. And like a true man, you know, can't show his emotions in public. Doesn't want to spoil the trap that he's laying. He runs out, he leaves. Cries, weeps, comes back in, controls himself. And then he sits down and he eats with them. Which is itself shocking. the Egyptians go off on their own. And it would be expected that Joseph, whom they think is an Egyptian, would eat with the rest of the Egyptians. And Joseph, as someone who is great in authority, would be eating on his own. He would have a table all to himself. But the Egyptians go off. Joseph has a table all to himself, but in the same room as as his brothers. 
And this shocks his brothers. And then to, to shock them even more, Joseph begins to not only seat them according to birth order, but then he gives the greatest honor to Benjamin. He begins to show favoritism, giving him five times as much food. And it is hard, you've got to remember, it's hard for us to contemplate this, but remember in, at this time, there is a food shortage all around the world. And so for him to not only get food, but to get five times the amount that anyone else is getting, that is an incredible gift. Everyone is noting that. And on one way to look at it, you could see that Joseph might be favorite, showing favoritism toward his brothers. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's part of it. But I think something else is happening. As Joseph is preparing this trap, You remember, Joseph was once the favored son. And his brothers despised him for it. They hated him for it. And now Joseph is showing favoritism to another brother. And it's almost as as he's readying this trap, he wants to test, are you going to show the same level of vindictiveness towards Benjamin you once showed toward me. He's preparing this trap, which leads us into, jo- into chapter 44. We'll read along with me once again. And he commanded, so, so in the meantime, what's happening, all the brothers, they eat, everyone eats their fill, they all go to bed, and in the night, Joseph gets his steward, and he begins to make some arrangements. And he commanded, Joseph commanded the steward of his house, saying, fill the men's sacks with foods, fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Also put my cup, the silver cup, the silver chalice, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, and his, and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. And as soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. And when they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, Get up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks, and with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. So in the ancient world, in ancient Egypt, it was not uncommon for rulers, for those who were in great authority, to have a special cup that was theirs. And with that cup, they would practice divination. And though in, our, in the book of Genesis, there is no uh, evidence that Joseph practiced it, it would have been known that this was how this cup would have been used elsewhere. And so that's why we have this here. And with which he indeed practices divination. You have done evil in so doing. So he overtook them and he spoke to them these same words. And the brothers, they said to the steward, Why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants will do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from the Lord's house? With whomever your servants, uh, with whomever of your servants it, this cup is found, let him die. And we also will be my Lord's slaves. And the steward said, Now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave. And you shall be blameless. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground, and each opened his sack. So he searched it. He began with the oldest and left off with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. 
Then they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there, and they fell before him on the ground for a third time in this sequence. And Joseph said to them, What deed is this you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I could certainly practice divination? Then Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak, or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. But he, this is Joseph, he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah came near to him and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. And so so not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servants, saying, have you, a father or a mother, have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, who is young. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his, father's, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. So it was when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down if our youngest brother is with us. Then we will go down, for we, will not, for we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. And the other one, and the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn to pieces. And I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now, therefore, when I came to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a servant to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? Lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. Joseph makes those arrangements to have Benjamin framed, basically. And the brothers, if, if you think about it, they should have checked the mouth, uh, they should have checked their sacks uh, for, for the money. They left Egypt once and they found the money later on. They should have, but they had been lulled into a false sense of security. And they leave the next day. And Joseph's steward catches up with him, making some grand accusations. And Judah makes a rational and logical defense. And he comes back to, to Joseph and he pleads his case that to leave 
Benjamin there would mean the death of their father. And all of this, Judah and his brothers do what they have never done before. Judah takes responsibility. And did you notice earlier in verse 16, then Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. It's as if the guilt of what they had done to Joseph had weighed on them for more than 20 years. And they're seeing in this action, they're seeing the parallels. And rather than just sacrificing Benjamin and going home with the grain and their money, they all return. And Judah leads the way and taking ownership and responsibility. He is, this is humble repentance. The trap is sprung. And they are caught. And then in chapter 45, we find out the trap is no trap at all. What it is, is that Joseph has been leading them all the way to this point so that now he may finally be restored with them. And in being restored, he may be the way, be the means by which God delivers them. Follow along in chapter 45 as I read. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood him, stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me, you and your children and your children's children, your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. Therefore, I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept and Benjamin wept on his neck. 
Moreover, he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. Load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Also, do not be concerned about your goods. For the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to them, to all of them, to each man, changes of garments. But to Benjamin, Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent to his father these things, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away and they departed and he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. And they went up out of Egypt, came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father, and they told him saying, Joseph is still alive and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to him to carry to him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Then Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Joseph finally reveals himself. And the response of Joseph's brothers is understandable. Rather than being happy and jumping for joy, they are dismayed. In fact, that word dismayed might be translated terrified. They're, they're afraid. And you and I can understand why. Here's the one they sold into slavery. They thought was dead. And now they not only find him in Egypt, now he is the one who is the, the ruler of the land who could easily kill them or enslave them. Instead of this, Joseph restores he restores his, this relationship between him and them. And he pleads with them, go get our father, bring him down to Egypt. And, and Pharaoh, learning of this, joins his voice with it. Just as Joseph has been a blessing to Egypt, so Egypt will be a blessing to Pharaoh. But in verses 5 to 8, This is where we see the heartbeat of this entire event flow. This is what is driving this event. This is the theological truth at the heart of this restoration. Joseph calls them to see that there is a reality behind our reality of which he is aware and he wants them and us to be aware Joseph has given his brothers great assurance. Draw near to me. Don't be dismayed. But why? And he tells them in verses 5 to 8 why. He said the very first reality is that God is ruling. God reigns. He is sovereign over all events. 
Do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. In fact, three times in these four verses, we are told that Joseph says, it is God who has brought about this series of events. God is the one who did it. Yes, you sold me. Yes, you were involved. Yes, you were the ones who were doing this. And that was evil. That was sin. But God is ruling God is reigning. God has made me a father to Egypt. God, a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler throughout Egypt. And he recognizes it is God who has sent him. Not you. The plan of the brothers was evil, but God's plan was good. Joseph wants his brothers to see that even in their sinful actions, even in the most... Even in that event, that action that they regret the most in their lives. That God stood behind that. It reminds me of those words in Isaiah 55, 8 to 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Joseph opens a a window into this reality. And he invites you and I to see that behind this life, in all of the circumstances, in all of the events, God is directing God is moving. God is reigning. And the second thing that we need to see, the second reality that Joseph wants his brothers to see, is that God's purpose in all of this is grace. God purposes grace. See, it is no comfort to know that God is behind everything if God's purpose in being behind everything is to bring about judgment and destruction. But God's purpose is grace. It is not just grace to God's people, it is grace to all people. Verse 5. For God sent me before you to preserve life. This is God's common grace. His grace to all people. That the Lord causes the sun to shine. And on days like today, the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. This is God's common grace. His undeserved, unearned mercy and compassion on all people. God sent Joseph to Egypt to preserve life. But not just common grace, but special grace. That God works through Joseph sending him here. We read in verse 7, To preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And we see two truths in the Bible. We see that one truth, that God has a a general saving love, a saving stance towards all people. Come to me, all ye ends of the earth, and be saved. 
For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. But it is clear that God also has a particular saving love for His people. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 to 8. The Lord is telling the people of Israel, why he, out of all the nations of the earth, why he called them, chose them. And he said, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. This is echoed again in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you are this day. Or Malachi 1. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Or Ephesians chapter 5. For Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Here, in sending Joseph, God purposes common grace to preserve the life of, of peoples all around the world. In Egypt and around that whole region. But there is a particular saving grace that God has for his people to bring them through this, through a particular work. And, and all of God's gracious purposes he achieves, he achieves through Joseph, whom he has sent. Three times Joseph makes it as a point, God sent me, God sent me. You did not send me, God sent me. The last time in the book of Genesis we find this language is when Abraham is sending his servant to find a wife for his son Isaac. And he tells his servant, don't worry For the Lord will send his angel before you, and that angel will make your way prosperous. And here we find Joseph being sent ahead of time. As an emissary of God, to going ahead of God's people, to deliver them, to make their way prosperous. And in this, Joseph becomes a a small thumbnail sketch of Christ Jesus. The perfect one who is sent. Which is why we read those words from John chapter 6 earlier. We read Christ saying, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up at the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. 
Friends, Joseph is a picture of Christ. He pictures us, he pictures for us, the one who would come much later to achieve a far greater salvation and deliverance. And we need that salvation. For we all come to God like Joseph's brothers came to him. Helpless. Deserving judgment. Deserving death. For every single one of us comes and will stand before God giving an account to him of every word, of every thought, of every action we have ever done of every emotion that is welled up in our hearts. We fall short of God's perfect standard every day. And yet Christ sent into the world to save all who look to Him in faith and trust in Him. And we are given this promise that he will raise us up on that last day. And this knowledge is meant to free us just as it was meant to free Joseph's brothers. As Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, he pulls back the curtain. We find that they are afraid. They are terrified. And Joseph tells them, no, it was not you, it was God in part, because he wants to free them from that fear, from that worry. How can Joseph's brothers know that Joseph will not seek vengeance against them? Because he is tracing this not to them, but to the Lord. And if we know that God is at work in all things, And his purposes in all things in our lives is gracious. That ought to free us from anxiety and worry. How can we fear that? How can we fear knowing that our God is in control? There may be a famine. There may be an end to the world. If every last one of the very worst predictions of those who fear the worst of climate change come true. The power of God to save and deliver is not shortened. Secondly, if we believe this, that God rules and reigns, it not only fears, frees us from worry and anxiety ourselves, it, frees, it ought to free others from fear or worry or anxiety about us. That is, it ought to free us to forgive others. I find it fascinating that Joseph wants his brothers to know what he believes about God so that they will know that he is not going to seek vengeance against them. That he is not going to look to get his pound of flesh back. That he's not going to try to get even with them. And this is hope for every one of us. This is hope for you at work. When one of your coworkers does wrong, 
This is hope for our family. Whether we are wronged or whether we wrong someone else. We are free to forgive and to receive that forgiveness. More than that, it frees us from anger and guilt and self-recrimination towards ourselves. Verse 5, he says, Do not be grieved or angry with yourselves. Why? Because God rules, and He rules with gracious and good purposes for you. It is not that what they have done or what we have done isn't our fault. It is that despite our own sin, and it is our own, but that despite it, our sin doesn't and can't derail the plans and purposes that God has for us. You know, this frees us from playing the what-if game and wallowing in self-pity. We, we, we might ask the question at times, what if I hadn't done that? Or what if I had just finished this? What if I had done that or not done this? What if I hadn't said that? Or what if I had said this? What if I had been different? Or what if things were different? So many Christians fear that some action in their past, some decision, some failure, has removed them from the will of God. As if now they, their lives have been derailed and there is no real hope for them. And what this tells us is that despite whatever sin we have ex- done or experienced, God's gracious and good hand ensures that it will bring about his gracious and good purposes. More than this, not only does it free us from anger and guilt and self-recrimination, it it frees us from anger and recrimination and blame-shifting towards others. Verse 26, his brothers are about to go home and Joseph tells them, hey, see that you do not become troubled along the way. Basically, he's saying, don't fight on the way home. And you can imagine why. They can't go home and say, hey, dad, guess what? Joseph's alive and he's in Egypt. They can't get there without confessing what they've done, right? They can say, hey, dad, Joseph's in Egypt. Wow. How did he get there? We don't know. They know Joseph is going to tell them. And Joseph knows his brothers, and he knows on the way home, the guilt of this, the wrestling with this, the temptation is going to be for them to limit their own guilt and blame shift, uh, to, to shift the blame on their brothers, the same way we saw Reuben do several chapters before. But if we believe that even in our sin, God is ruling and reigning. And even when the sin of others, when they sin against us, God is no less ruling and reigning for our good. It will free us from bitterness. It will free us to take responsibility. It will free us to trust Him. And this passage calls us to see 
that God rules and reigns over everything. The worst decision these brothers ever made, and and that's saying something because these brothers have made some terrible decisions. This is that one that haunts them the most. And yet it is through this that God determines to bring about their greatest good. And doesn't that sound like something that happens many centuries later with Christ Jesus? The most scandalous and worst sin that this world has ever known is that we as humans put to death the very Son of God. Is there any greater crime Is there any greater sin, any greater offense than that? And yet, is there any greater salvation wrought than what God did then? Friend, our sins, though they be serious, though they be scandalous, the gracious purposes of God are not put to an end. And so we may rest and trust in Him. I had planned at the end of this service for us to sing, Be Thou Exalted. I'm going to do an audible, if that's okay, for our musicians. If we could sing, Be Still My Soul. I have no idea what number that is in the hymnal. Dan will look it up. Let me just read. In light of all God's sovereign and gracious purposes, listen to the words of this wonderful hymn. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to your God to order and provide. In every change, He faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, your best, your heavenly friend, through thorny ways, leads to a joyful end. Be still, my soul, your God will undertake to guide the future as He has the past. Your hope, your confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul. The winds and waves still know his voice who ruled them while he lived below. Be still, my soul. The hour is hastening on when we shall be forever with the Lord. When disappointment, grief, and fear are gone, sorrow forgot, love's purest joys restored. Be still, my soul, when change and tears are past. All safe and blessed, we shall meet at last. Because God reigns and His purposes are gracious, we may sing, Be still, my soul. Let's pray. Father in heaven, 
forgive us for how often we have allowed fear and worry, anxiety, anger to fill our hearts at things we have done and things done to us. Help us to see your rule and reign for our good, which stands behind and underneath and around all that we see. Oh God, help us to trust in you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.